1: Here we go. Episode 411 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Friday, September 30th, 2022. The last day of September, a day on which the Goldie family is headed to the pumpkin patch. We'll see how that goes. I believe the rain from the remnants of Hurricane Ian Uh, isn't supposed to hit the Washington, D.C. area until after our voyage to the Pumpkin Patch on Friday afternoon. Will the Goldie family trip to the Pumpkin Patch go better or worse than the Commander's trip to the Dallas Cowboys for a game this Sunday afternoon at 1? Which trip has a better chance of going well? Don't answer that. Hello and welcome to a Football Friday Commander's pregame show installment of the Al Goldie podcast. Uh, we certainly do want to wish everyone dealing with Hurricane Ian well. I know that we have listeners all over the country, so if you are being impacted by Ian, we wish you nothing but the best. Ahead on the show, in-depth preview of the one and two commanders at the 2 and one Dallas Cowboys. I will tell you right now, I will not be doing The conversation of Washington Dallas is it still a rivalry? Is the rivalry still a big deal? How do you feel about the rivalry? It cracks me up every year, every year for years now. The weeks leading up to Washington Dallas games feature the conversation here in the DC area about the state of the rivalry. Here's the deal if you every year have to ask the question of whether the rivalry still is a big deal, Then that answers your question, okay? Now, the rivalry to me personally still is a big deal. I know that the rivalry to many of you listening still is a big deal. But in terms of the bigger picture... The Washington-Dallas rivalry is not what it was. The Cowboys don't even consider Washington to be their biggest rival. The Cowboys consider the Philadelphia Eagles to be the Cowboys' biggest rival. That has been the case for years. The sad truth is that the Washington-Dallas rivalry is much more of a Washington thing than a Dallas thing. You know, we in the D.C. area call this week Dallas week. People in the Dallas area do not call this week Washington week that tells you everything. So no, no conversation about the state of the rivalry. Although I guess I just sort of had one. But ahead on the show, the latest on injuries for the commanders on Sunday afternoon. I'll talk commander's offense, including some good stuff from offensive coordinator Scott Turner from his post-practice press conference on Thursday afternoon on the commander's major pass protection issues in the 24-8 loss to the Philadelphia Eagles at FedEx Field last Sunday afternoon. The lack of involvement of receiver Terry McLaurin in the first half of that game and more. I'll get into the commander's defense, including some stuff from defensive coordinator Jack Del Rio from his post-practice press conference on Thursday afternoon. I'll welcome on a guest for a great breakdown of the Cowboys, Fox Sports Cowboys insider David Hellman. He's very good. He has a lot to say. And I'll give you my rhyming keys for a commander's win at the Cowboys, and we'll provide you with a prediction for the game. Also on the show, Goldilocks, my college football previews and picks for Maryland Navy, Virginia Tech, and Virginia. A very juicy card for Saturday. Maryland home to Michigan State, Saturday afternoon at 3.30. Virginia Tech at North Carolina, Saturday afternoon at 3.30. Virginia at Duke, Saturday night at 7.30. And Navy at Air Force, Saturday At noon, and I will talk some Orioles. Uh, They on Thursday afternoon lost at the Boston Red Sox 5 3. The Orioles' playoff hopes are hanging by a thread at this point, but catcher Adley Rutschman on Thursday afternoon did make Orioles history. I shall explain. You can tweet me at @algaldi. You can email me the algaldi podcast at yahoo.com. Including by the way, if you would like to sponsor the algaldi podcast, if you would like to advertise your business or practice on the pod, if you would like to put the power of the pod to work for you and reach thousands of people every episode, hit us up. We offer a variety of attractive and affordable packages, podcast advertising, a lot cheaper than radio. Advertising uh, again. The email address is the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Email from Kevin on Commander's Head Coach Ron Rivera writes, Kevin, I don't understand why Ron gets so worked up when the media asks about personnel. He has started to display a trend of being defensive when people ask about injuries and other things like the report from ESPN's Adam Schefter. Couple this with Ron's latest comments about scheme and execution, it leads me to think that this locker room is not doing well. Too many times it feels like he's calling out the players and defending his roster building and scheme. It's too early to pull the fire alarm, but this team is starting to smell like smoke. Curious to hear your thoughts on the overall tone of Ron's media interactions and comments over the first three weeks. As always, love the show, a daily part of the routine. Uh, Thank you for that, Kevin. Much appreciated. So as I have noted, uh, there has been a testiness, a feistiness, a moodiness to some of Ron Rivera's recent press conferences. He has been giving shorter answers. He has been giving borderline combative answers. I mean, Ron, at his day after the game press conference on Monday afternoon, essentially said that he wasn't going to call out specific players because he didn't need the media making a big deal out of that. Uh, now, it's no coincidence that Ron acting this way at his recent press conferences coincides with the two-game losing streak, uh, in which the Commanders have been outscored in the two first halves by a combined score of 46 nothing. You know, Ron, off the 28-22 win over the Jacksonville Jaguars at FedEx Field in Week 1, gave friendly and expansive answers at his press conferences. Look, I think that Ron is ticked off about his team having been smashed in the first halves of the last two games. I think that Ron is embarrassed by that, by the way he should be embarrassed by that. And I do think that Ron is feeling some heat and not necessarily from his bosses, uh, our commanders, co-owners and co-CEOs, Dan and Tanya Snyder. I think that the heat that Ron is feeling is as much self-imposed as anything. I actually don't think that Dan and Tanya have any interest in firing Ron unless things really unravel this season. But I do think that Ron looks around the NFL and sees other head coaches thriving in years three, two, and even one with teams and realizes that he's not doing that. You know, Ron's regular season winning percentage as Washington head coach is 417 Jay Gruden's regular season winning percentage as Redskins head coach was 4-18. And Jay had two winning regular seasons over his first three seasons as Skins head coach. Ron has yet to have a winning regular season as Washington head coach. When it comes to each guy as a Washington head coach, Jay greater than sign Ron. And that's not something that we should be saying in year three, of the Rivera era. Still plenty of time for Ron to change that, but this is where we are right now. Email from Ramesh in the United Kingdom on the Commanders writes Ramesh, I'm one of your listeners from the UK and I enjoy hearing your detailed evidence-based analysis of the team's fortunes each morning. Well, thank you, Ramesh. Continues, Ramesh. Warning, rant ahead. Uh Uh-oh. Please, can you again play the Waterboy clip Oh no, we suck again every time the team suffers another embarrassing loss. Perhaps this can become the official team motto to accompany the new team mascot, given the high frequency of these complete demolitions. As we look ahead to the Dallas game with the Cowboys' highly ranked defense and backup quarterback, can we imagine anything better happening than the two embarrassing losses from last year? These are becoming a rather regular occurrence. The team, and by this I mean coaching staff, fails to rapidly learn from and adapt to the situations presented by different competent opponents. Players are responsible for executing on the field, but ultimately coaches should be accountable. Even the basics elude us. For example, I'm sure Carson Wentz will again enjoy lurching for low snaps as if Micah Parsons and company will need any further help. Last year, Washington eventually fixed the defense, but the exact same problems reappeared this year. And just when we thought defense was the problem, and we finally have an explosive offense, the offense reverts to total ineptitude. One step forward is met by another one back. Blame Jamin Davis for everything. It's obviously (laughs) his fault. Rant over. I will feel better until the inevitable happens on Sunday. Hail to the Durs. Best wishes. Ramesh. Uh, thank you for that email, Ramesh. Well done. Uh, you perhaps have seen or heard this stat. It has been making the rounds the last few days. It is a jarring stat. Washington and Ron Rivera's 36 regular season games as the team's head coach has trailed 20 nothing or worse in seven games. Seven games out of 36 games. Basically, one out of every five regular season games. During Ron Rivera's tenure as the team's head coach, the team has been down 20 nothing or worse. That should not be the case. That cannot be the case. But always know, if you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. Uh, no law firm does a better job of fighting for victims than Paulson and Nace does. You can call Paulson and Nace at 202-902-7611. And when you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent ya. Paulson and Nace handles medical malpractice, personal injury, birth injury, legal malpractice, and consumer protection cases, offering aggressive advocacy for victims in Washington, D.C. and West Virginia. Polson and Nace is widely respected throughout Washington, D.C. and West Virginia for the firm's accomplishments both in And out of courtrooms. Uh, Chris Nace and Matt Nace, they are dedicated trial attorneys who do not balk in the face of large insurance companies or well known businesses that have had practices or products that are directly related to the root of your harm. You see, Holson and Nace does not accept low settlement offers that benefit the people who caused clients' harm more than the offers benefit the clients. And this is because Holson and Nace is not afraid to take a case to trial. And that's because Holson and Nace wins trials. Paulson and Nace has secured millions of dollars in verdict and settlement amounts for clients to better enable them to care for themselves and their families. Heck, take a case that was just concluded. Paulson and Nace in July won a case for which the United States government was paid nearly one8 Eight million dollars. Uh, this to a former American University field hockey player because of a military doctor's failure to diagnose and treat the student for a 2011 concussion that left her with permanent symptoms. Uh, you may have heard about this. Paulson and Nace defeated the U.S. government. Uh, again, if you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. If you feel that you've been wronged, if you think that you've been wrong but aren't sure, call Paulson and Nace and schedule a no-obligation appointment. Yet you're obligated to nothing. Call Paulson and Nace at 202-902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. When you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Schedule a no-obligation appointment by calling 202-902-7611. You can also visit paulsonandnace.com. That's paulsonandnace.com. Just make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace, if you're the case, contact Paulson and Nace. Thank you for listening. Thank you for downloading. Thank you for subscribing. Do not forget to give the podcast a five star rating on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. And if you are really feeling generous, if you are really in a good mood, uh, please write a brief review saying that you like the podcast. You can do that on Apple Podcasts. The 1-2 and two Commanders at the 2-1 and one Dallas Cowboys this Sunday afternoon at 1. The Cowboys have won seven consecutive games against NFC East opponents. Longest active winning streak in the NFL for a team against opponents in its division. Uh, next segment, I'll talk Commanders defense versus the Cowboys offense, including some comments from Commanders defensive coordinator Jack Del Rio at his post-practice press conference on Thursday afternoon. But right now let's talk Commanders offense, including what offensive coordinator Scott Turner had to say at his post-practice press conference on Thursday afternoon. So it does continue to look like Nick Martin will be the commander starting center at the Cowboys on Sunday afternoon. Wes Schweitzer on Thursday did not practice for a second consecutive day due to a concussion, so it looks like he's likely to be out for this Sunday. Remember, the commanders already are without their top two centers from the team's 2021 season, center Chase Rulier is on the reserve injured list. He's been on that since September 20th due to a reported right knee injury that he suffered in the 36-27 loss at the Detroit Lions in Week 2. And center Tyler Larson is on the reserve physically unable to perform list. He has been on that since August 23rd due to an Achilles injury that he suffered in the loss to the Cowboys at FedEx Field Last December 12th, the commanders on September 20th, as the corresponding roster moved to placing Chase roulier on the reserve injured list, signed unrestricted free agent center Nick Martin. Uh, and he has extensive NFL starting experience. Nick Martin was taken by the Houston Texans in the second round of the 2016 NFL draft at Notre Dame. He was the Texan starting center from 2017 through 2020, and he over those four regular seasons started and played in 62 of a possible 64 regular season games. Scott Turner on Thursday afternoon on Nick Martin.
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, Nick came in, uh, he's a pro, you know, he's he's played in this league, you know, started a lot of games. Um, he understands, you know, what's at stake. He had a great job last week of studying and being ready to, you know, go in if we would have needed him uh, in that game. And uh, he's done well so far in practice. I mean, it's just, you know, you, you meet with them, our offensive line coaches have done a great job of meeting with them. Um, you know, we walk through in and practice and, and you got he's got to be really focused in, not try to learn everything, but just learn the game plan, you know, for this week. And um, a lot of that is, you know, looking at Dallas's defense and, and all that kind of stuff. But uh, Nick's done a great job. And like I said, he's a pro and he'll, he'll be ready to go.
1: And for whatever it's worth, commanders quarterback Carson Wentz worked with Nick Morton at the 2016 senior bowl. Left tackle Charles Leno Jr. Uh, He on Thursday was a limited participant in practice off on Wednesday having not practiced due to a shoulder issue. Although head coach Ron Rivera during his post-practice press conference on Wednesday afternoon called Leno not practicing on Wednesday simply a vet day. It does feel like Leno will play this Sunday afternoon. Right tackle Samuel Cosme on Thursday was a full participant in practice off on Wednesday having been a limited participant in practice due to a knee omen, and offensive lineman Sadiq Charles on Thursday was a full participant in practice off on Wednesday, having been a limited participant in practice due to a shoulder issue. Washington's offensive line in each of the last two seasons was a surprising strength. The commander's offensive line so far this season has not been good. Uh, The commander's through week three, just 28th, out of 32 NFL teams in ESPN's pass block win rate for the 2022 regular season and just 24th out of 32 NFL teams in ESPN's run block win rate for the 2022 regular season. Scott Turner on Thursday afternoon was asked if making offensive line lineup changes is difficult given that the nature of the offensive line is that changing one person can change many things.
2: No, I mean I don't think, you know, we're we're not tr- thinking about making any changes um, on the lineup just to want to make that uh, clear up front but just like any other position, I mean, we evaluate every week, you know, and um, yeah, I, I understand what you're saying about like five guys playing together, but you know, if we feel like that there's someone that's going to help us play, you know, play better, then we'll go ahead and make that change regardless of, regardless of the, the position. And I don't think, uh, you know, that makes much of an impact because everyone, everyone on the offense has got to be playing together and in unison uh, and have that type of relationship.
1: And of course, the state of the commander's offensive line matters a lot given A, the extent to which the commanders have been giving up sacks, and B, the extent to which the Cowboys have been generating sacks. The commanders over their last two games, the 36-27 loss at the Detroit Lions in week two and the 24-8 loss to the Philadelphia Eagles at FedEx Field in week three, have allowed a total of 14 sacks and 28 quarterback hits. The Cowboys through week three, number one in the NFL in sacks for the 2022 regular season with 13, number one in the NFL in sack percentage for the 2022 regular season at 11.5. Linebacker Micah Parsons has four sacks. Edge defender Demarcus Lawrence has three sacks. Edge defender Dorrance Armstrong Jr. has three sacks. Scott Turner on Thursday afternoon on the Cowboys defensive line.
2: You know they're uh, they're an outstanding unit. I mean they're playing really well. Um, you know going back to last year and then they've really only improved uh, at the beginning of this season. Um, you know they're a little bit more multiple um, up front. You know than Philly and uh, you know with Parsons. You know he's a I, you know I guess he's a linebacker, but he's a defensive lineman. I mean he plays everywhere. You know so uh, and then obviously Demarcus Lawrence and then the, the rest of the group. I mean they all play extremely hard. Um, they do a lot of stunts and twists and stuff up front that you got to prepare for where Philly, you know, doesn't, I mean, they still do that, but not, not at that frequency and they don't have, you know, they'll move guys around a little bit, but not, not as much, you know, uh, where you have to me- have the mental challenge of IDing, um, that Dallas does.
1: And so the potential exists for the commanders in pass protection this Sunday afternoon, uh, to get worked as they did the previous Sunday afternoon. Here was Scott Turner on Thursday afternoon on the Commanders in that loss to the Eagles last Sunday afternoon, allowing nine sacks and 17 quarterback hits
2: obviously when you have a a game like we had you know i don't think anybody's happy so um you attack it full you know head on and you look at you know you're honest with with yourself me personally and then you know everybody has to be honest with themselves and say hey what are the issues what you know led to us you know not being successful having the issues we did um and then you know and then you address each of them you know what i mean so um you know you don't do it all at once but you know uh one at a time and you know it starts you know it starts um you know up front as far as the protection's concerned and and it's not you know it's not all the offensive line i mean you know the quarterback has to get the ball out i mean obviously you, we got to block people the quarterback has to get the ball out guys got to get open quickly so the ball can come out you know um and i got to make sure i'm doing a great job of getting those guys in position to to make plays
1: Yeah, no doubt. There has been plenty of blame to go around for the debacle that was the commanders in the loss to the Eagles, allowing nine sacks and 17 quarterback hits. I thought that this was interesting. Scott Turner on Thursday afternoon discussed whether he and his staff assess blame for sacks.
2: Yeah, we do I mean we look at it you know okay where'd the protection break down? okay should the ball have been out you know what I mean okay he didn't have a chance to get it out okay he was gonna get it out here but a guy ran the wrong route you know what I mean I'm just throwing a bunch of different things I mean every play that we that we run um, in games and you know practice that matter we, we grade and we you know we make sure that we're doing you know exactly what we're supposed to be doing and you know sometimes it goes hey you know they just covered it and he had to hold the ball too long and then it's on me you know what I mean so um, and you know making sure that we're doing the right things and, and And like I said, there's plenty of blame to go around, myself included, um, but we're all working to get better.
1: All right. Well, another disappointing aspect of the commander's offensive performance in the loss to the Eagles was what went down with receiver Terry McLaurin. Now, yes, Terry did finish with six receptions for 102 yards and a drop on nine targets in playing on 88% of the commander's offensive snaps. But this was about as meaningless of a 100-yard receiving game as you'll see a player have, Terry's first reception didn't come until more than eight minutes had elapsed in the third quarter. And with the commanders trailing 24-0, Scott Turner on Thursday afternoon on Terry McLaurin having zero receptions in the first half of the loss to the Eagles.
2: You know, we had some plays uh, designed for him in the first half. And whether it was, um, you know, them take, taking it away with coverage or having some issues up front uh, with protection obviously he wasn't able to get them uh, you know kind of what I talked about earlier with getting the ball out more quickly um in plays where you know he's getting the ball and you're getting it out more quickly there's there's in the passing game unless it's like a screen um there's no guarantee you know ever that the, the guy you're designing to play for is going to get the ball but um we can do you know there's a lot of different things that way that we can do to 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 get him the ball
1: You know, the issue of Terry McLaurin not getting enough receptions slash targets and or not getting targeted enough early in games is not a new issue. This has come up in previous seasons, and Terry, in each of the Commanders' last two games, has been held without a catch in the first half. Uh, That is not how this is supposed to work with a big-money WR1. Now, Scott Turner on Thursday afternoon talked about a conversation that he has had with Terry since the loss to the Eagles. Uh, what they talk about?
2: Just had a conversation about how, you know, obviously how important he is to the offense. Um, you know, he tries to energize the group. Um, and, you know, I just let him know it's not lost on me that we, you know, didn't get him the ball in, a, in the first half. Um, and that, you know, that it's not being overlooked, you know, and I think he already knew that. And I think he appreciated just, just having the conversation. Um, and he's all in. I mean, the, all of our guys are all in. We, everybody was collectively disappointed with how we played. Uh, we felt like we were off to a pretty good start. Um, and then, you know, this game can be pretty humbling. And like I said, give credit to, to them. They did a nice job, um, but we feel like we can do better uh, as a whole group. So, you know, I think everyone's just, all in, you know, ready to work and move forward. And and
1: how can we bounce back and play better from this? And good for Scott Turner for having that conversation with Terry McLaurin. Well, if losing weight has been as challenging for you as stopping the Eagles pass rush was for the commanders this past Sunday afternoon, you're not alone. Uh, If you have had a hard time losing weight or have lost weight, but then put the weight back on, Dr. Matthew Mintz can help you. Dr. Matthew Mintz is a board-certified internal medicine physician and weight loss expert in Bethesda, Maryland. Dr. Mintz understands your frustration because he himself has struggled with being overweight. You see, there's a reason that most weight loss programs fail, and that's because the human body has evolved over time to prevent you from losing weight. And while these mechanisms were protective hundreds of years ago, today, these mechanisms just make weight loss extremely difficult. The solution is medical weight loss. By using prescription medications that fight the factors that prevent weight loss, Dr. Matthew Mintz will help you achieve your weight loss goals. And not only will you lose the weight, but you'll keep the weight off. You see, Dr. Mintz does not use powders, shakes, or other special foods that you need to purchase. Instead, he uses prescription medications and personalized lifestyle changes, and he'll give you the support That you need to succeed. Dr. Matthew Mintz's medical weight loss program includes an initial in person comprehensive evaluation, blood work, and a customized weight loss plan, in person or virtual follow up visits to keep you on track, a full year of phone calls and emails to answer questions or troubleshoot problems, and one year of prescription medications for weight loss. The good news is that many, if not all of these things, will be covered by or reimbursable through your insurance. Dr. Matthew Mintz, he has been in practice for over 25 years. He serves as clinical faculty at the George Washington University School of Medicine, and he is consistently ranked as a top doctor by Washingtonian Magazine. He is a huge Commanders fan and a loyal listener of the Al Galdi podcast. If you are ready to lose your excess weight the right way, find out more about Dr. Matthew Mintz's medical weight loss program by calling eight five five six four six eight nine six three. 646 8963 that's 855-646-8963. And make sure that you tell Dr. Mintz that Al Galdi sent ya. you. can also visit drmintz.com. That's D-R-M-I-N-T-Z M-I-N-T-Z, dot com. And click on Medical Weight Loss. That's 855-646-8963 or drmintz.com. And make sure that you tell Dr. Mintz that Al Galdi sent ya. Well, do you trust the commander's defense to perform well at the Dallas Cowboys this Sunday afternoon, beginning at one? Of course not, Goldie. What are you, crazy? <laughs> I hear you. I know. Uh, but as I have said on the podcast this week, the commander's defense in that 24-8 loss to the Philadelphia Eagles at FedEx Field last Sunday afternoon played reasonably well. Here to me is an oversimplified evaluation of the commander's defense so far. The 28-22 win over the Jacksonville Jaguars at FedEx Field in Week 1, the commander's defense was mixed. The 36-27 loss at the Detroit Lions in Week 2, the commander's defense was bad. The loss to the Eagles in Week 3, the commander's defense played well enough to win. Uh, commander's defensive coordinator Jack Del Rio on Thursday afternoon did his weekly post-practice press conference he said very little of consequence but he did say this regarding the performance of his defense in the loss to the Eagles
3: I like the first third and fourth quarters I thought I thought we played some good football in spurts Uh, we're looking to have more consistency in, in what we're doing but there were some real bright spots in the game and um You know, a couple things we'd like to do better, but uh, the effort has been really strong, uh, and I feel like we're improving.
1: Yeah, remember, the Eagles last Sunday afternoon scored all 24 of their points in the second quarter. The Commanders actually shut out the Eagles in the first, third, and fourth quarters. So as much as it may not feel like it, and I get that it may not feel like it, the Commanders' defense has been at least decent in two or three games in the 2022 regular season. What would be nice, of course, would be a great defensive performance, a dominant defensive performance. And this Sunday afternoon at the Cowboys would be a terrific spot for a great and or dominant defensive performance. The Commanders through week three per Football Outsiders DVOA metric for the 2022 regular season, just a 29th in the NFL in total defense, just a 28th in the NFL in pass defense, and 16th, in the NFL in run defense. The Cowboys threw week three per DVOA for the 2022 regular season, 15th in the NFL in total offense, 17th in the NFL in pass offense, and fourth in the NFL in rushing offense. Uh, The Cowboys offensively overall have done a nice job considering that their starting quarterback, Dak Prescott, has been out since suffering a fractured right thumb in a 19-3 home loss to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers on Sunday Night Football in Week 1, considering that one of the team's top receivers, Michael Gallup, has yet to play due to offseason knee surgery, and considering that the team's starting left tackle, Tyron Smith, has yet to play due to a knee injury, and Tyron Smith may be out for the season. Uh, Now, Dak on Thursday did not practice for a second consecutive day, so it does appear as if he will be out For Sunday, as expected. Gallup on Thursday was a full participant in practice for a second consecutive day, so he this Sunday may well make his 2022 regular season debut. Uh, Also, tight end Dalton Schultz, uh, he on Thursday was a limited participant in practice for a second straight day. He's dealing with a knee issue. The good news for the commanders' defense is that it does appear to be getting healthier in terms of players on the active roster. Uh, Quarter William Jackson III on Thursday was a full participant in practice for a second consecutive day off having been inactive for the loss to the Eagles due to a back ailment. Quarter Benjamin St. Juice on Thursday was a full participant in practice off on Wednesday having been a limited participant in practice due to a hamstring. Edge defender James Smith-Williams does remain a concern. He on Thursday was a limited participant in practice for a second straight day. He for the loss to the Eagles was inactive due to an abdominal injury, but edge defender Casey Tuhill on Thursday was a full participant in practice off on Wednesday, having been a limited participant in practice. He, for the loss to the Eagles, was inactive due to a concussion that he suffered in the loss at the Lions in week two. Interior defensive lineman Daniel Wise on Thursday was a full participant in practice off on Wednesday, having been a limited participant in practice. He, for the loss to the Eagles, was inactive due to a high ankle sprain that he suffered in the loss at the Lions in week two. Linebacker Milo Eifler on Thursday was a limited participant in practice for a second straight day due to an ankle issue. But linebacker David Bayo on Thursday was a full participant in practice for a second straight day despite being listed on the injury report as dealing with an ankle issue. So that's where things stand for commanders, defensive players on the active roster in terms of injuries. I mentioned the Cowboys starting left tackle Tyron Smith being out for potentially The entire season with a knee injury. His replacement, Tyler Smith, is holding his own. Now, this isn't confusing at all, right? Tyler Smith playing for Tyron Smith, but the Cowboys took Tyler Smith with the number 24 pick in the first round of the 2022 NFL Draft at a Tulsa. Now, Tyler Smith so far hasn't been great, but he has been decent. Uh, He has committed three penalties. You would love to see edge defender Montez Sweat take advantage of Tyler Smith and bust out Uh, Montez threw three games in the 2022 regular season, zero sacks. He and the loss to the Eagles for pro football focus had zero pressures, zero hurries, zero quarterback hits, zero batted balls, and zero sacks. Uh, This was Jack Del Rio on Thursday afternoon on Montez Sweat's play this season.
3: Yeah, I mean, sacks and and turnovers come in bunches and um, you you just got to, you know, play and compete and really be focused on, you know, each guy focused on what he can do for us. And, and then we put it all together on game day. And, uh, but he's, I think he's doing a great job. I think he's affecting a lot of things that don't necessarily show up in the stat column, but he's playing good football.
1: Yeah, it's worth noting Cooper Rush in the 2022 regular season has only been sacked three times over three games. Uh, he has been doing a nice job in place of Dak Prescott. And for more on Cooper Rush and the Cowboys, we now welcome our special guest. All right, as we continue to prepare mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually for the 1-2 and two Commanders at the 2-1 and one Dallas Cowboys this Sunday afternoon at 1, time now to learn all... That we need know about the opposition. I'm very pleased to welcome back to the Al Galdi podcast, David Hellman, Cowboys insider for Fox Sports. You can follow David on Twitter at David Hellman underscore. Hey, David, how are you?
4: I'm wonderful. Good to be on with you again.
1: I appreciate you coming back on. Uh, Pretty impressive what the Cowboys have done since quarterback Dak Prescott suffered the fractured right thumb in the 19-3 home loss to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers on Sunday Night Football in Week 1. Uh, you had the 2017 win over the Cincinnati Bengals in Week 2. You had the 23-16 win at the New York Giants on Monday Night Football in Week 3. How would you summarize why the Cowboys are 2-0 and since Dak went down? Uh, I mean, it's a cliche, but I think you're seeing a team that is, is all pulling in the same direction.
4: Um, and what I mean by that is like full complementary football. Obviously, I think, you know, quarterbacks get all the headlines, but I think these last two games, if you've watched against the Bengals and the Giants, you've seen uh, a pass rush that is able to completely make life miserable on, on the opposing offense. I mean, uh, the Cowboys have three pass rushers with three-plus sacks through three games. They lead the league in total sacks. Obviously, Micah Parsons has looked like a Defensive Player of the Year candidate uh, through three weeks of the season. So that can do wonders for any team. And then on the other side, I think the Cowboys are just doing a wonderful job of, A, playing to their personnel, and and B, having their role players step up. I mean, you're seeing uh, young guys like, like the rookie left tackle Tyler Smith really coming into their own. Like I said, role players like uh, a Noah Brown, a longtime backup receiver, stepping up, getting a chance to start and making the most of it. And then, of course, Cooper Rush. I think the Cowboys have designed really smart and efficient game plans for him. They're not asking him to do too much. They're just asking him to make plays on schedule within the offense. And he's doing an amazing job of it. Um, You combine all of that with a running game that's looked pretty good each of these last two weeks, really good on Monday night. And um, I'm, I'm not going to say it's not surprising. It's definitely surprising that they've won both of these games. Uh, but, but if you're going to do it, it, it needs to be with everybody kind of pulling their own weight the way, it has, the way it's worked with the Cowboys so far.
1: Yeah, I was reading your piece on FoxSports.com about the work of offensive coordinator Kellen Moore in the win at the Giants. You just sort of hit on this, but why were you so impressed with what he did?
4: I just think, you know, anytime, and, and it's it's the, the world we live in, when the backup wins two two consecutive games, you start getting questions or hearing speculation that, that maybe the backup is playing better than the starter was. Um, I think that's a little bit silly, considering everything that Dak Prescott's accomplished in his career. But if you go back and watch the tape of the game, you can see uh, what Kellen Moore put into this offense to help Cooper Rush. I mean, Uh, the Cowboys implemented a ton of play action into their game plan. Obviously, that works even better when the running game is working the way that it was. Got the Giants out of position way more often than not. Um, Shout out to the Cowboys' young tight ends. You know, they honestly, they didn't have Dalton Schultz in that game. And they had two rookies, Jake Ferguson and Peyton Hendershot, step up. Didn't even do that much in the passing game. The Cowboys used them as extra blockers. I mean, the number... The number of times that Cooper Rush dropped back to pass with seven blockers in front of him instead of five, uh, it's its really noticeable and obviously made a huge difference when you go back and watch the game. So, um, you know, I, I think Kellen Moore did a wonderful job of giving Cooper Rush easy decisions to make. You know, you're not asking him to drop back, survey the field and make the best choice between four options. You're giving him... One or two very obvious places to go, uh, and and like I said in the story, it's it's not a knock on Cooper Rush. Uh, I think they wanted to put him in in a in the best possible position, and then he made the right choice seemingly every time he had to. Um, so when you have a backup quarterback, I think that's the type of stuff you have to do, and and it's it's really worked. The Cowboys' offense has looked really efficient with it
1: working this way. Yeah, I give the Cowboys credit. Uh, the Cowboys at receiver, Michael Gallup, uh, still recovering from offseason knee surgery, although I know that he could make his 2022 regular season debut this Sunday. Uh, some big production from Noah Brown so far, production from CD Lamb, although he and the win at the Giants did have that bad drop. But how are the Cowboys at receiver right now?
4: You know, I think they. They have their moments. They have not pieced together a complete game. I thought, I mean, they were they were wonderful in the second half against the Giants. Obviously, CD really bounced back, but a really brutal drop that people are going to remember for a long time. Noah Brown, ironically, he's played fantastically in these two games with Cooper Rush kind of had a bit of a dud in the season opener when Dak was still the quarterback which you know there's some irony there and really that's the funny thing is like those are the two that have really had the opportunity you've seen you've seen a couple spot plays here and there from semi fejoko the second year draft pick uh the rookie jalen tolbert made his debut against the giants but but really hasn't had a chance to do anything it seems very obvious um Again, going back to Kellen Moore, I think he would rather rely on those two veterans, Noah Brown and C.D. Lamb, uh, and then turn to tight ends and running backs when he has to. The Cowboys have run a ton of two tight end personnel. They've gotten both Zeke Elliott and Tony Pollard onto the field plenty. It's pretty obvious they don't feel wonderful about trusting their receiver depth. Uh, But on the bright side for them... A lot of people thought Michael Gallup was going to play on Monday night. They opted to sit him. Uh, But I think you have to at least consider it a possibility that he makes his debut against Washington. We'll have to keep an eye
1: on that. With the Cowboys running game, as you know, the conversation for a few years now has been that the best pure runner on the team in terms of running backs is Tony Pollard and not Ezekiel Elliott. I know that Zeke is good in pass protection, but Three games into the Cowboys 2022 regular season, Pollard is averaging 5.6 yards per carry and Zeke is averaging 4.4 yards per carry. And Zeke only has 12 more carries than Pollard has. Is Tony Pollard the best running back on the Cowboys?
4: You know, I'm really encouraged by what we're seeing so far. Like you said, Zeke only has 12 more carries, which like, I I can live with that split. And I think, I think it's fine. If the Cowboys keep doing that, the problem was in years past when Zeke is getting two thirds or 75% of the carries. I mean, it's, it's not uncommon in the past to see Zeke out touch Tony Pollard, 22 to eight, you know, uh, whereas a more even split, I think it was 15 carries to 13 carries on Monday night. That's just fine. Um, because if you ignore the salary, if you ignore that Zeke is making fifteen million a year, I think the Cowboys have a really wonderful dynamic working. I mean, the old—it's kind of a cliche at this point to call it thunder and lightning—but Tony Pollard clearly is a better pure runner. He's more explosive. He's got more juice. Um, anytime you see a, a true splash play, a twenty, thirty, forty-yard yard gain in the running game. It's always Tony Pollard that does it. But at the same time, go back and watch that game and you will see Zeke Elliott's value. Um, He gets the tough yardage. He always fights forward. He finishes hard. I mean, you you don't just have to tackle him, but, but you take a punishment when you tackle Ezekiel Elliott. You know, he got two or three first downs on second contact on Monday night and his touchdown as well. You know, he was hit at the goal line and managed to extend it into the end zone. I think the Cowboys believe, and I agree with them, I mean, that takes a toll on a defense when you have to when you have to take on a runner like that 12 to 20 times a game. Um, so I, I think there's value there for both of them. And I honestly, I think Zeke has looked great through the first three weeks of the season, just not as explosive as Tony Pollard. So it's encouraging that they are working them both in there, giving Tony a chance to make those type of plays, uh, while also building in the usual workload for Zeke. So, like I said, I I, I haven't trusted them to do that well in the past, but uh, through three weeks, it's hard to have complaints about what we're seeing.
1: Much more with Fox Sports Cowboys insider David Hellman in moments. I'm going to next ask him about whether the Cowboys regret signing Ezekiel Elliott to his big money contract extension. Uh, know this, you will not regret going with Kellen Hunt as your real estate agent, now is the time to buy a home in the Washington, D.C. area. And if you are wanting to buy a home in the D.C. area, you got to get with Kellen Hunt. Visit closeitwithkel.com. That's CloseItWithKell, K-E-L-L.com. Book a call with Kellen Hunt to discuss your real estate needs and make sure that you tell Kellen that Al Galdi sent you. You heard me right. Now is the time to buy a home in the Washington, D.C. area because increases in mortgage rates are being offset big time by decreases in housing prices caused by higher inventory, which has been caused by by the increases in mortgage rates. Oh, the irony. Visit CloseItWithKell.com. You see, Kellen Hunt understands the Washington, D.C. area real estate market, and he is here for you to listen to what you want, no matter your situation in life, whether you're a first-time buyer looking for guidance, or you have a young family looking for a bigger home, or you're ready to retire and or are looking to downsize. Kellen Hunt can help you. Kellen Hunt is a real estate agent for real people. He's a great guy, and he will listen to you. He's not just some know-it-all. He works for you. He takes in what you're looking for and then gets to work. And Kellen Hunt is willing to put a portion of his commission back in your pocket. Yes, you, the buyer, get a piece of the action. Kellen Hunt knows what buyers like you are facing, and he wants to help. So visit close it with Kell dot com. That's close it with dot Kel, com. Book a call with Kellen Hunt to discuss your real estate needs and make sure that you tell kell that Al Goldie sent you. That's close it with com. If you are trying to buy a home in the Washington D.C. area, you will do well by going with kell. Visit close it with com and tell kell that Al Goldie sent you. More now on Commanders Cowboys with Fox Sports Cowboys Insider. David Hellman. So the Cowboys in September 2019 signed Ezekiel Elliott to a six-year, $90 million contract extension. His salary cap hit for this season is $18.22 million. Do the Cowboys internally regret that contract extension?
4: You know, I I doubt it, honestly. Um, And I think you know, the rubber's going to meet the road with Zeke here this season, honestly, because the contract starts to be it's possible to get away from that contract after this season is over. So we'll see how effective Zeke is and and what they want to do about it. I think they could start to regret it because, again, the funny thing is they extended Zeke. A full two years before they had to so he's only just now getting into the real meat of that deal And i'll be surprised if he plays I'd w- I be very surprised if he plays the whole thing Uh, but when I say I doubt it, I mean and especially with the dallas cowboys There's so many other things that go into it, you know, zeke has been One of the faces of this franchise. He's very marketable. He's a jersey seller and I know that doesn't win you football games Uh, But it does go into the decision-making process. So all things considered, to this point, I doubt they regret it. Uh, But I also know there's quite a few years left on that deal. And just knowing the nature of this business, I would be pretty surprised if Zeke Elliott plays the entire thing.
1: I know that there were concerns about the Cowboys' offensive line coming into this season. How's the line doing so far? It's definitely
4: not perfect, but I think it's a lot better than people thought it would be. I mean, Tyler Smith did not play a snap of left tackle in training camp uh, because Tyron Smith was there. You lose him on the eve of the regular season. You know, I think Tyron got hurt, I believe, during the last practice of training camp. So you ask a rookie who, you know, the scouting report on Tyler was that he was very raw. And you've definitely seen that. I mean, he's been flagged for holding two or three times already this year he definitely has lost some battles, but overall you would absolutely take it. I mean, what he's doing in the running game is absolutely phenomenal. And then if he's going to take some lumps as a rookie pass protector, you can live with that. Uh, so that, I mean, that's been fantastic. I think the, the interior hasn't been wonderful, but, uh, Jason Peters played a little bit of guard on Monday. I would expect that to continue. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'll be honest, I thought there was real disaster potential there with how thin they looked. And it's a long season. I mean, there's there's plenty more twists and turns that could be coming. Hopefully everybody stays healthy for their sake. But uh, with what it looked like heading into the season opener and where it is right now, I think you would have to call
1: it a win in, in the big picture. All right, let's get to the Cowboys' defense. The Commanders have allowed 14 sacks over the team's last two games. The Cowboys, meanwhile, have been the number one pass-rushing team in the NFL so far in the 2022 regular season. Uh, the Cowboys have maybe the single best pass rusher on the planet and linebacker Micah Parsons. Also have very good edge defenders in Demarcus Lawrence and Dorrance Armstrong Jr. The Cowboys had a good pass rush last season, Is this season's pass rush even better? You know, it sure as heck
4: looks like it right now, and it's ironic because, um, you know, there was a lot of angst among Cowboys fans and media when the Randy Gregory deal fell apart, obviously. Randy was a huge part of that pass rush last year, uh, made a couple huge plays against Washington late last season. Um, And again, it's early, and I, you know, I think you also have to keep in mind that the Cowboys have played two pretty atrocious offensive lines to this point. I mean, Daniel Jones is the most pressured quarterback in football this early in the season and was heading into that game. And then obviously Joe Burroughs struggles with the Bengals offensive line are well-documented. So I'm not saying they're not good, but I think they're also benefiting from some favorable matchups early in the season. But yeah, I mean, to this point, it's been incredibly impressive. I mean, we knew what they had in Micah. We knew what they had in Demarcus Lawrence. Uh, but we're really seeing Dorrance Armstrong come into his own. You know, he signed a new deal in the offseason. They they kind of signed him as, I think a lot of people viewed it as a consolation prize uh, after missing out on Randy. And he's already had three, uh, three sacks through three games, blocked a field goal on Monday night. Uh, So he's more than living up to the contract that he signed. I don't think I'm ready to say it's better yet, uh, just because it's such a small sample size. But I think it has that potential. And if if that is what happens, not to take credit away from anybody else, but I don't think you can say enough about uh, how valuable Micah Parsons is, not just for his ability, but his versatility. I mean, when you have a guy that can get after the quarterback the way that he does – And you can line him up anywhere. I mean, he's played off the right side. He's played off the left side. He can go through the A-gap. He can blitz. Um, You know, he takes down double teams to free other rushers up. I mean, he didn't have a sack on Monday, but he had a hand in the vast majority of the times the Cowboys got after the quarterback. So uh, the number of different ways that he can add to your pass rush, I just don't think you can talk about it enough.
1: Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that. Micah Parsons is officially listed as a linebacker. We know that he can be deployed in a variety of ways. How is he at his best? Like what is the best usage of Micah Parsons in your opinion?
4: You know, I, I've I've been I've been saying this and I'm gonna keep saying it. There are obviously there are obviously people that want Micah to move to edge rusher full time and just do nothing but that. I will agree. I mean, he's at his best when he's getting after the quarterback. He's got such rare athleticism and bendability. uh, The way that he can get around the corner while also being strong enough to bulldoze an NFL guard. I mean, you just don't see that very often. So that is where he's at his most valuable. But I also think the Cowboys would be doing themselves a disservice to take his athleticism out of other parts of their game. I mean, this is a guy who can carry running backs and even receivers down the seam. He runs a 4-3, and, I mean, that's that's not a juiced number. I've seen him do it. Um, so to completely take away that element, I mean, you know, I don't, I don't know if you completely want Micah not doing those things just because, again, it's more that he can do, and on top of that, it's more that an opposing offense knows that he can do. So if you're never 100% sure what he's going to do when you line up against him, all the more valuable. Whereas if you know that he's going to be running after the quarterback, no matter what, he's still going to be pretty good at it. But I think that makes him at least somewhat easier to defend. Um, So that's a rambling answer. But I clearly think he's at his best as a pass rusher. But I do think his versatility is part of what makes him so dangerous. And and I think the Cowboys should, should
1: keep that in mind moving forward. Yeah, Micah Parsons really is a fascinating guy to study because of that versatility. One more for you. Is there a weakness, a vulnerability, a concern with this Cowboys defense that the commanders can potentially exploit this Sunday afternoon?
4: Yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't think the Cowboys have proven that they are great against the run just yet. You know, the, um, the Buccaneers had very good success running against them. Uh, I'm not going to say the giants ran well against them, but you saw that Saquon Barkley was able to break tackles and, and get loose for a long touchdown. Um, the pursuit there concerns me again. Like, I think this is a team that knows how good it is as you know, rushing the passer. And I think you can probably use that against them in the run game. Antonio Gibson has given the Cowboys fits in the past. So I know Washington is capable of that. Um, So I'm curious to see how that goes. I think uh, if the Commanders can get into a game where the Cowboys can't just pin their ears back and go after Carson Wentz, if the Commanders can try to get something going on the ground, um, I don't know if I'm ready to call it a weakness, but I, I do think that is a place where the Cowboys haven't proven their strength
1: yet. Good intel. David Hellman, Cowboys insider for Fox Sports, does a great job covering the team. David, thanks a lot for your time. Much appreciated. Anytime, man. Thank you. All right. Up next, my rhyming keys for a commander's win at the Cowboys this Sunday afternoon. Well, as you surely know, internet security and privacy are major issues. You perhaps have heard of VPN, which stands for Virtual Private Network. A VPN is a service that protects your internet connection and privacy online. I want to tell you about NordVPN. NordVPN keeps your internet connection safe and private and allows you to access region-locked content. With NordVPN, you can safely stream sports, television shows, and movies wherever you travel in the world. NordVPN is one of the most user-friendly VPN services on the market, so you can easily set it up on your smart TV or Apple TV and enjoy watching games with your friends and family. NordVPN shields your data from Snoops and Criminals, protects you on public Wi-Fi connections, and allows you to secure a To six devices on one account. NordVPN keeps your information encrypted so that you never have to worry about your IP or location getting out. And NordVPN has a threat protection feature that'll mean that you no longer have to worry about intrusive website ads and malware. In fact, even if you download an infected file, threat protection kicks in and deletes the file before it makes a mess of your computer. Go to nordvpn.com slash algaldi to get your subscription started. You can receive a huge discount on a two-year plan and get a free month. That's nordvpn.com. Dot com slash algaldi There's a 30-day money-back guarantee, so there's no risk. That's nordvpn.com/slash/algaldi. Nordvpn.com/slash/algaldi.
0: We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed.
1: The 1 and 2 Commanders are at the 2 and 1 Dallas Cowboys this Sunday afternoon at 1. You know, Washington is just 5 and 13 against the Cowboys since the start of the 2013 season. How do we improve upon that record? How do the Commanders get to 2 and 2 for the 2022 regular season, my friends? It is that time. The time to rhyme. It is time For rhyming keys, my keys to a commander's victory in rhyming fashion. Oh, these rhymes, they are not meant to be good. They are only meant to make a few points. And in fact, I have a saying for this segment, the worse the rhyme, the better the time. And so here we go. Hardcore analysis combined with scheduled fun, rhyming keys for a commander's win at the Cowboys. How do the commanders win this game? We now rhyme the ways. Rhyming key number one, this is for the entire commander's team. If you want to avoid being victimized in a rout, then in the first half, don't get shut out. This key is a no-brainer, okay, but if this key isn't adhered to, there's a good chance that nothing else will matter. The Commanders have gotten outscored in the first halves of the team's last two games by a humiliating count of 46 nothing. What's funny about that is, is that the Commanders in their 28-22 win over the Jacksonville Jaguars at FedEx Field in Week 1 got off to such a good start. The Commanders in that game scored a touchdown on each of the team's first two offensive drives and led at the half 14-3. Little did we know what was to come over the next two first halves. Few things in the NFL are more indicative of which team will win a game than which team is leading at. The half. The frequency with which teams with halftime leads win those games is sky high, to say nothing of teams with halftime leads of 22 0 and 24 0, which have been the halftime scores for the commanders' last two games the 36 27 loss at the Detroit Lions in week two and the 24 8 loss to the Philadelphia Eagles at FedEx Field in week three. The commanders in their last two first halves have come off as out of sorts and unprepared. You really can't overstate how bad of a look these last two first-half performances by the team have been. It is imperative that the commanders at the Cowboys on Sunday afternoon get off to a good start, establish an early lead, take the crowd out of the game, and build confidence. A third consecutive game in which the commanders get ravaged in the first half would be devastating, not just for this game, but for the bigger picture. Like, what would it say about Commanders players and coaches if the team, for a third straight game, got walloped in a first half? And so, rhyming key, number one, this for the entire Commanders team, if you want to avoid being victimized in a route, then in the first half, don't get shut out. Rhyming key for Commanders-Cowboys, number two, This is for Commander's quarterback, Carson Wentz. Be super and outplay Cooper. It's a funny thing. If you knew nothing about Carson Wentz and Cowboys quarterback Cooper Rush, other than what each guy did in week three, you would think that Carson was the backup quarterback who had been thrust into a starting role, and Cooper was the established veteran quarterback. Carson Wentz in the loss to the Eagles last Sunday afternoon, yes, was failed by his offensive line, and yes, was failed by offensive coordinator Scott Turner, but Carson in that game did not play well. He contributed to the Eagles finishing with nine sacks and 17 quarterback hits. He committed two fumbles. He was inaccurate on too many throws. He needs to be better, and he, to his credit, has admitted to that. Cooper Rush, meantime, has done a very nice job as the Cowboys starting quarterback since Dak Prescott suffered his uh, fractured right thumb in the 19-3 home loss to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers on Sunday Night Football in Week 1. Cooper Rush through Week 3, number six among all qualified quarterbacks in the NFL. In ESPN's total QBR for the 2022 regular season at 73.7. Total QBR is on a scale... Of 0 to 100. As I talked about with Fox Sports Cowboys insider David Hellman last segment, the Cowboys have not been asking Cooper Rush to do too much, but that which he has been asked to do, he has done well. Carson Wentz for this season has a salary cap hit of $28.3 million. He needs to outplay Cooper Rush in a big game for the Commanders at the Cowboys. At the end of the game, it needs to be the case that Carson outplayed Cooper. Because if that isn't the case, well, what exactly are we doing here? The commander's offensive line needs to be better. Perhaps Nick Martin will be an upgrade at center over Wes Schweitzer. Scott Turner has got to call a good game, but Carson himself needs to handle the pass rush better, and he needs to be more accurate. I know that accuracy isn't his thing, but he can be more accurate than he was in the loss to the Eagles. And so arriving key number two. This for Carson Wentz, be super, and outplay Cooper. Rhyming key for Commanders Cowboys number three. This is for Commanders running back Antonio Gibson. Run with malice in this big game at Dallas, as we talked about on Thursday's show episode. 410. Commanders head coach Ron Rivera during his post-practice press conference on Wednesday afternoon had some nice things to say about how Antonio Gibson has been running the ball. Know this, Gibson through week three tied for number 12 out of 38 qualified running backs in the NFL in football outsiders rushing success rate for the 2022 regular season at 55%. Gibson as a ball carrier so far, you know, hasn't been like great but he has done some good things. In fact, this was Commanders offensive coordinator Scott Turner during his post-practice press conference on Thursday afternoon on Antonio Gibson.
2: I think Antonio's been been you know he's been doing pretty well. I know that uh, you know the yards per carry isn't exactly what you have. He's had a lot of uh, carries that have been you know in the goal line situation or short yardage, um, and then there's some that. You know, early in games where, you know, we got to get more out of. um, So we're not, you know, running the ball and then we're in, you know, a second and long um, situation. But, you know, we can be, you know, we can run the ball more frequently. You know, I think that helps. Um, And then we got to be more effective uh,
4: when we do it.
1: Well, this game at the Cowboys could be Antonio Gibson's final game. As the Commanders RB1, if running back Brian Robinson Jr. comes off the reserve non football injury or illness list, as he can for the Commanders next game after this game at the Cowboys, the home game against the Tennessee Titans in week five. The Cowboys through week three for football outsiders DVOA metric for the 2022 regular season were number six in the NFL in pass defense, but just number 19 in the NFL. In run defense, the Cowboys have been run on a bit. Uh, running back Leonard Fournette in the Bucks win at the Cowboys at Week 1, 21 carries for 127 yards. New York Giants running back Saquon Barkley in the Giants' 23-16 home loss to the Cowboys on Monday Night Football at Week 3, 14 carries for 81 yards and a touchdown. Given the Cowboys' imposing pass rush, given the commander's penchant for giving up sacks and quarterback hits over the last two games, an effective running game could help out a lot. Antonio Gibson is no stranger to running well against the Cowboys. Now he didn't do much in two games against them last season, but Gibson had two monster games against the Cowboys in the 2020 season. Rhyming key number three, this for AG. Run with Malice in this big game at Dallas. And one more. It is number four. Rhyming key for Commanders-Cowboys number four. This is for the entire Commanders team. You're wearing black. You're not facing Dak. So do not slack and get back on track. This has been a work week in which we have had a lot of negativity and a lot of bad vibes regarding the commanders thanks to two consecutive losses. We have had a lot of big picture conversations about where exactly we are with Rod Rivera, and the conversations have not been pleasant. But the truth is, the Commanders are 1-2, not 1-10. And to win at the Cowboys on Sunday afternoon would make things look a lot better and make us feel a lot better. This game is an opportunity for the Commanders, an opportunity to silence the critics, an opportunity to restore some sanity and good feeling to the season and an opportunity to avenge what happened in Washington's game at the Cowboys last season. Need I remind you, December 26th, 2021, the night after Christmas, twas the night after Christmas, Sunday night football, a 56-14 loss at the Cowboys. Yes, 56-14. The 42-point loss was Washington's worst Loss ever to the Cowboys. We, in the second quarter, had the ugliness of interior defensive linemen Deron Payne and Jonathan Allen getting into a scuffle on the Washington sideline in one of the more off-putting scenes in a Washington game in years. The Commanders this Sunday afternoon will be wearing their alternate black uniforms in a game for the first time. The Commanders this Sunday afternoon will be facing a backup quarterback who, yes, has been playing well, but who also, yes, is a backup quarterback. A win at the Cowboys on Sunday afternoon is attainable. So, attain the win. Rhyming key, number four, this for the entire Commanders team, you're wearing black, you're not facing Dak, so do not slack and get back on track. All right, it is prediction time. The Commanders per win bet, as of very early Friday morning, are plus three. The public predictably is pounding the Cowboys. The public almost always is pounding the Cowboys. I last week took the commanders in a contrarian play. Uh, More wrong, I could not have been. But I actually like the commanders in a contrarian play. Again, few people expect them to win. Therefore, they will. That's how the NFL works, as we all know. Commanders 21, Cowboys 17, receiver Jahan Dotson off a quiet game in the loss to the Eagles that included him having a drop. Two touchdown receptions at the Cowboys this Sunday afternoon. Let us now get to college football. Let us now get to Goldilocks. My previews and picks against the spreads for games played by Maryland Navy, Virginia Tech, and Virginia. The record for Goldilocks so far this season is an atrocious 4-11. and Yeah, I am not proud of that. Uh, I have never not had a winning record for Goldilocks in a season. This season just might be that first losing season. I could give you plenty of reasons for the 4-11 and record, but that would be excuse-making. This is a no-excuse-making show, so let's just get to work and hopefully do better. Goldilocks for week five of the 2022 college football season. All point spreads are from Winbet and are as of very early Friday morning. Goldilocks game number one, Maryland, home to Michigan State, Saturday afternoon at 3.30. The Terrapins are minus minus seven and a half. Maryland fell to 3-1 and one overall and 0-1 and in the Big Ten with a 34-27 loss at then number four Michigan last Saturday afternoon. This was a more than credible performance by a Maryland program that for years had been getting destroyed in games against Michigan. Now, two key Terps got banged up in the loss at Michigan. Quarterback Talia Tungavailoa and receiver Rakim Jarrett. Talia Tungavailoa is dealing with rib and knee ailments. Rakim Jarrett is coming off a head injury. Head coach Mike Loxley on Tuesday said that both guys will be game day decisions, although said that both guys were progressing well. This is a big deal whether these guys play. It feels like at least Talia will play, but we'll see. Uh, he and the loss at Michigan had a mixed game. He left the game, came back into the game, but then got pulled from the game in favor of Wake Forest transfer, Billy Edwards Jr. Edwards went 5-9 and for 62 yards, a touchdown, and no interceptions, and took three sacks. The biggest problem for the Terps in their loss at Michigan uh, was their defense. Uh, the Terps got gutted by running back Blake Corum, who finished with 30 carries, for 243 yards and two touchdowns. He averaged 8.1 yards per carry. Also, the Terps allowed quarterback J.J. McCarthy to go 18-26 to for 220 yards, two touchdowns, and no interceptions. But Michigan is a really good team. Michigan stayed is Uh, not nearly as much. The Spartans are just two and two. The two wins were home blowouts of Western Michigan and Akron. The two losses have come over the last two weeks, a 39-28 loss at Washington on September 17th, then a 34-7 home loss to Minnesota last Saturday. Uh, Maryland through week four was number 22 in the FBS in overall team efficiency. For ESPN for the 2022 season. Michigan State was just 71st. The public is on Michigan State. It's hard to totally trust the Terps given their uh, oh-so-shaky history in Big Ten games. And you do have to think about weather for this game and basically every game in the mid-Atlantic region and southeast portion of the United States this weekend with what's going on with Hurricane Ian. But this Maryland team, to me, may be different. This may well be a true step forward season for the Terps. Give me Maryland minus seven and a half. Make money, money, make money, money, money. Thank you, Snoop Dogg. Goldilocks game number two: Virginia Tech at North Carolina Saturday afternoon at three thirty. The Hokies are plus nine. Uh, Tech is coming off a bad loss. Man, they fell to two and two overall with a. 33-10. Lost to West Virginia at Lane Stadium in Blacksburg, Virginia. Now, two Thursday nights ago, September 22nd, the Hokies led in the second quarter, 7-3, then lost the rest of the game, 33. Uh, Tech was a mess. Tech had 15 accepted penalties for 132 yards. Tech got outgained by West Virginia, 421 228 Tech went just 2-10 on third downs. Uh, The Hokies' new starting quarterback, Marshall transfer, Grant Wells, he was not good. Uh, He completed just 16 of his 35 pass attempts. He threw for just 193 yards. He had one touchdown pass versus one interception. Grant Wells threw four games this season, five touchdown passes versus five interceptions, and a yards per pass attempt of just 6.44. And, you know, new Hokies head coach, Brent Pry talks about how he wants Tech to get back to being very good at running the football, and he wants the running game to lead the way offensively. Well, Tech can't run the football, at least so far this season. The Hokies' running game in the loss to West Virginia did nothing. Running backs Jalen Holston and Keyshawn King combined for 10 carries for 22 yards. Maybe Tech finally is going to be getting back Malachi Thomas for this game on Saturday. We'll see. But Virginia Tech through week four was 112th in the FBS in offensive efficiency for ESPN for the 2022 season. The Hokies' pass defense in the loss to West Virginia wasn't bad, but the Hokies' run defense was brutal. The Hokies allowed West Virginia CJ Donaldson, Justin Johnson Jr., and Tony Mathis to combine for 43 carries for 227 yards and a touchdown. Although the Hokies through week 4 actually were 29th in the FBS in defensive efficiency per ESPN for the 2022 season. The North Carolina Tar Heels are 3 and 1 with the 1 having happened last Saturday a 45-32 home loss to Notre Dame. With Carolina it's simple. The offense is great. The defense is terrible. UNC through week four, number 12 in the FBS in offensive efficiency for ESPN for the 2022 season. But UNC through week four was number 124 in the FBS in defensive efficiency for ESPN for the 2022 season. The Tar Heels cannot stop anybody. I mean, among UNC's wins this season is a 63-61 win at Appalachian State on September 3rd. Yes, the final score of that game was 63-61. But the Heels can move the ball. Their quarterback, Drake May, he threw week four, was number four among all qualified quarterbacks in the FBS and ESPN's total QBR for the 2022 season at 88 so we have a bad Virginia Tech offense versus a bad North Carolina defense, and a good Virginia Tech defense versus a good North Carolina offense. The public has been heavily on Virginia Tech, but give me North Carolina minus nine.
4: Make money, money, make money, money, money.
1: Goldilocks game number three: Virginia at Duke. Saturday night at 7:30. The Cavaliers are plus two. And a half. They fell to 2 and 2 overall and 0 and 1 in the ACC with a 22 20 loss at Syracuse last Friday night. The Wahoos trailed at the half 16 0, did then win the second half 26. The Cavs' defense in this game was really good. They generated four takeaways, and interception, and three fumble recoveries. Syracuse came into the game having not committed a single turnover in any of the team's three games in the 2022 season. Uh, The Cavs totaled six sacks. The Cavs held Syracuse to just five of 15 on third downs. The Cavs held the Cuse to just one touchdown over five red zone possessions. The Cavs held running back Sean Tucker to just 60 yards on 21 carries. That works out to just 2.86 yards per carry. Understand, Tucker in the 2021 season set Syracuse's single-season rushing record with 1,000 496 yards. The Cavs did allow quarterback Garrett Schrader to go 22 of 33 for 277 yards and did allow him to have a first quarter third and 15, 17 yard shotgun scramble touchdown run, but he had no touchdown passes. Uh, also, the Who's ran the ball well. The problem was their passing game. Quarterback Brennan Armstrong had yet another underwhelming game. He completed just 19 of his 38 pass attempts. His completion percentage for this season over four games is just 52.14. Armstrong over his 38 pass attempts threw for just 138 yards. That works out to a yards per pass attempt of just 3.63, which is horrendous. Armstrong's yards per pass attempt for this season over four games is just 6.06. Armstrong had one touchdown pass versus one interception. He for this season over four games has a mere three touchdown passes versus four interceptions. Armstrong last season over 11 games, 31 touchdown passes versus 10 interceptions. Also, Armstrong last Friday night took four sacks and had a lost fumble. He does not look good of having looked so good last season I really do not like what Virginia's new head coach, Tony Elliott, is doing here. He's trying to change Brendan Armstrong, and Elliott is trying to go with this run-first offense. Why you would do that with a talent like Brendan Armstrong, I do not understand. Why you would do that in 2022, knowing everything we know about the efficiency of throwing the football, I do not understand. You know, Tony Elliott was an offensive assistant at Clemson for 11 seasons, but it is not impressive what he is doing right now with a guy like Brendan Armstrong, who again was so good last season. I mean, UVA got this gift of Armstrong returning to play for Virginia for another season, and UVA is wasting that gift. Virginia through week four was number 94 in the FBS in offensive efficiency for ESPN for the 2022 season. Duke through week four was number 15 in the FBS in offensive efficiency for ESPN for the 2022 season. Was just 86th in defensive efficiency, but the Blue Devils can move the ball. Duke is 3-1, coming off a 35-27 loss at Kansas last Saturday. The Blue Devils quarterback, Riley Leonard, he so far this season has a yards-per-pass attempt of 10.4 and a completion percentage of seventy-one point three—outstanding numbers. Riley Leonard has been thriving. Brennan Armstrong has not been thriving. The public heavily on Duke. I am too. Gimme Duke minus two and a half.
4: Make money, money, make money, money,
1: money. And Goldilocks game number four: Navy at Air Force Saturday at noon. The midshipmen are plus 14. Uh, This game, the first leg of the battle for the Commander-in-Chief's Trophy, the Commander-in-Chief's Trophy presented annually to the team that does the best in the three football games among the three major service academies, Navy, Army, and Air Force, and is named in honor of the President of the United States. Uh, When there is no clear-cut winner, the Commander-in-Chief's Trophy remains with the winner of the previous year's competition. Last year, Air Force beat Navy, Army beat Air Force, and Navy beat Army, meaning that Army retained the trophy prior to last year, the last time that we had not had a clear-cut winner in the battle for the Commander-in-Chief's Trophy. Had been 1993. Well, Navy is coming off a big win. The Mids improved to 1 and 2 overall and 1 and 1 in the American Athletic Conference with a 23 20 double overtime win at East Carolina last Saturday evening. What a win for the midshipmen. They were a 16 and a half point underdog in multiple shops, and the Mids uh, very much needed this game of having looked quite bad. During their 0-2 start, a season opening 14-7 loss to Delaware at Navy Marine Corps Memorial Stadium in Annapolis, Maryland on September 3rd. Delaware is an FCS school and then a 37-13 loss to Memphis in Annapolis on September 10th. Uh kicker Daniel Davies in the win at ECU. He came into the game without a field goal attempt in his collegiate career, but he went 3 of 3 on field goals, connected on a 37-yard field goal in the second quarter, a 29-yard field goal in the first overtime and a 36-yard field goal in the second overtime. But the biggest takeaway for me from this game for Navy was the work of quarterback Ty Lawatig as a passer, Navy's rushing offense remained really disappointing. The Mids for the game, 66 carries for just 191 yards and a touchdown. That works out to just 2.89 yards per carry. But Ty Lovatai completed seven of his 10 pass attempts for 152 yards and a touchdown. He threw no interceptions and took just one sack. Uh, the Air Force Falcons, they are 3-1 and one. They through week four were number one in the FBS by miles in rushing yards per game for the 2022 season, 412.2 rushing yards per game. And Air Force through week four was number three in the FBS in yards per carry for the 2022 season at 6.68. What Air Force is doing on the ground is what Navy is supposed to be doing on the ground. Public money for this game was pretty evenly split. Fourteen is a big point spread. It's entirely possible that Navy will get smashed in this game, but you know, Navy could get ripped in the game and still lose by less than 14. Give me Navy plus the 14. Make money, money, make money, money, money. All right, Snoop. So to review, Maryland minus seven and a half. North Carolina, minus nine, Duke, minus two and a half, and Navy. Plus 14, your Goldilocks for week five of the 2022 college football season. And also on Saturday, Liberty at Old Dominion, Saturday evening at 6. And James Madison, home to Texas State, Saturday afternoon at 1.30. Well, the Orioles' postseason hopes are just about done. Uh, they haven't been officially eliminated. And if you are familiar with the phenomenon of Orioles magic, you never say never. But the O's could be eliminated from playoff contention as soon as Friday night. Uh, they, on Thursday afternoon, lost at the Boston Red Sox 5-3. So the O's ended up losing three or four games in a four-game series at the Red Sox. The O's now are 80-76 and 76 and are five games Behind the Tampa Bay Rays for the american league's third wild card spot, and most significantly the Orioles elimination number is down to just two uh, the O 's are just nine and fifteen since getting to ten games above five hundred at seventy one and sixty one September has been a rough month for the o s uh, inconsistent pitching, inconsistent hitting, and an unrelenting schedule the O s have not had an off day since September fifteenth and aren 't scheduled to have another off day in the 2022 regular season. Uh, as far as Thursday afternoon's loss, Mike Bauman was the Orioles' starting pitcher. He allowed two runs in four innings. Reliever Dylan Tate, who has been really good for the O's this season, he gave up two runs in the bottom of the eighth on a tie-breaking went out first pitch, two-run homer by J.D. Martinez for a 5-3 Red Sox lead. Uh, the O's in the game drew just one walk, went 0-8, with runners in scoring position. Gunnar Henderson, as the Orioles starting third baseman and number five batter, did go two for four with a double and a single. And Adley Rutschman, as the Orioles starting catcher and number two batter, went one for four with a double, a walk, and an RBI ground out. Uh, that double by Rutschman, his 33rd double, setting a new Orioles record for most doubles by a player in his rookie regular season. Uh, The previous record was Cal Ripken Jr.'s 32 doubles in 1982. But get this, Cal's 32nd double that season came in his 149th game. Adley got his 33rd double in his 108th game. Uh, Adley Rutschman's OPS for his 2022 rookie regular season now is 807. Uh, He has had some season Next up for the O's, a three-game series at the American League East champion New York Yankees. Uh, Game one, Friday night at 7.05, Jordan Lyles will be the Orioles starting pitcher. Game two, Saturday afternoon at 1.05, Austin Voth will be the Orioles starting pitcher. And game three, Sunday afternoon at 1.35, Kyle Bradish will be the Orioles starting pitcher. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the podcast at yahoo.com. Monday show episode 412 will feature in-depth reaction to and analysis of whatever goes down with the commanders and their game at the Dallas Cowboys this Sunday afternoon at 1. I'll talk plenty of college football as well. Maryland home to Michigan State Saturday afternoon at 3.30. Virginia Tech At North Carolina, Saturday afternoon at 3.30. Virginia at Duke, Saturday night at 7.30. And Navy at Air Force, Saturday at noon. And I, on Monday's show, will talk Nationals and Orioles. And at this weekend, are scheduled to play the Philadelphia Phillies four times in three days at Nationals Park. Now, the schedule for the series has been adjusted due to a lot of rain being expected in the Washington, D.C. area on Saturday and Sunday via the remnants of Hurricane Ian, a day-night doubleheader on Friday with start times of 1.05 p.m. and 7.05 p.m., then a game on Saturday afternoon at 1.05, and a game on Sunday afternoon at 1.35. The O's this weekend are scheduled to play a three-game series at the American League East champion New York Yankees. Have a great rest of your Friday. Have a great Saturday and Sunday. And I'll talk to you on Monday. I like the first, third, and fourth quarters.